Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. So we are continuing our summer trip series, but we're going to take a pit stop today. Is that okay? Every trip, you're, you're probably going to have one or two pit stops, visiting grandpa's house, visiting grandma's house, or something like that. And we're going to take a pit stop today. With us today, we have a very, very special guest. Lifehouse Newport News is actually a part of a bigger network of churches. The Lifehouse Network of, of, of churches started 10 years back, and and and. and Whenever we started, we actually partnered with them, and we actually have today the leader of the Lifehouse Network of Churches, Patrick, uh, excuse me, Pastor Patrick Grash with us. Can we just, just give it up for him? So look, let me say, let me say this, though. Um, you know, it, it's, it's funny how sometimes you can enjoy the shade of a tree that, that you did not plant, Right? In other words, somebody planted the tree that you are benefiting from. And I know that Lifehouse Newport News, we can say, man, what God's doing, what God's done, and we can be like, man, where are we, we going? It's going to be absolutely awesome. But Lifehouse Newport News is just that. This is something, not me personally, this has been a dream come true, starting and seeing what God is doing at Lifehouse. But honestly, Lifehouse Newport News was simply a dream within somebody else's dream that they dreamed many, many years back. Patrick started Lifehouse Church in Hagerstown, Maryland back in 2004 with the whole goal of being a church that plants churches. And Lifehouse Newport News is simply the byproduct of Patrick's dream of planting a church that plants churches. Patrick, he planted his church 14, 15 years back, Lifehouse Church in Hagerstown. Like I said, currently they are a church of 2,000 people weekly for uh, three locations, planning a fourth in the fall, and, and God is, is just doing incredible things through, through him. I can honestly tell you this. Patrick lives what he preaches. I remember Patrick whenever he was just getting started. And I'm, and for some reason I'm sounding like like dad here. I remember back when, you know, but honestly, I remember when Patrick um, just had a back office and basically a dream of planting a church. And what I can honestly say, Patrick has the same passion and love for people and Jesus that the he had then, he has got now. And, and God is just doing incredible things through him. So we are honored. Uh, and I, okay, and let me say this too. Lifehouse Newport News would not happen, would not be here without the love, support, and resources of Patrick personally and the backing of Lifehouse Church in Hagerstown. So we are all benefiting from something, honestly, a, a tree. We're benefiting from the shade of a tree that we did not plant. Um, we, we, we were simply a dream within someone else's dream. And so I would like us, as Patrick comes up to preach today for us to show our love, appreciation for Patrick as he comes up, just, just to say thank you for investing generously in what God is doing in and through Lifehouse Newport News. Patrick, would you come up? Lifehouse family, would you show your appreciation? 
Love you, man. Love you, bro. Man, what an honor to be with you guys. And I say that, and I don't, I don't say that lightly. Um, really an incredible privilege to be with you guys. You don't know this, but behind the scenes, I have been praying for you, have been just, you have my heart. Um, it's a little strange when our churches, uh, when our church sends out and plants churches because we never really get to be there for their birth, and we never really get to be part of the actual story on the ground. Oh, really, my responsibility is investing into the church, the pastors that start the churches, and so I've spent a lot of time with John and uh, just supporting him, hopefully training him a little bit, and having the honor of, you know, spending 15 years getting to know John, one of the things I so appreciate and why it was so easy for me to say yes when we were having a conversation about whether or not he would start a church uh, because I've seen him so faithfully, meaning he's a faithful man. You know, the book of Proverbs says a faithful man who can find. And uh, when you see a guy who's walked faithfully with Christ, who has honored the Lord, who has honored his wife, his kids, um, who's been uh, devoted in his development as a man of God, as a pastor, man, what, a, what an awesome story. And I'm just... So grateful for John, for Kristen, for his kids. Uh, what an amazing family. In fact, would you do me a favor? Would you give them a huge round of applause? Um, one of the things as, you know, getting a chance to come in here and just be part of this for a little bit, I can tell you, uh, as a, you know, since I get a chance to pastor our church in Hagerstown, um, Really appreciate when another pastor just kind of cheers me on a little bit. And I just want to let you know, you have a great pastor. Um, I mean, really, it's really, he loves you. He loves the church. He loves this city. And that's a rare thing. I can, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to judge why different pastors do what they do. But to have a guy who's sincere and humble and authentic and just genuinely loves people is a pretty remarkable thing, and uh, so grateful for you, John. Grateful for the church. Um, I, I honestly, I come here, it's like, I mean, I would say, I have, my, my, I have five kids, but three of them are teenagers, which is crazy, and, uh, so, and the three that are teenagers are my daughters, and so I go to their dance recitals, and I can tell you, I was, I mean, I have three brothers, so we didn't, we didn't know anything about dance or ballet or anything like that, but when I go to their dance recitals, I'm like, yeah, that's awesome, look at that, you know, and uh, little bit like showing up here, I just feel like, man, it's so awesome. You'll just come and just kind of cheer you on. Not that you're doing like pirouettes or anything, but I just feel like I'm more excited about what God's doing here than honestly what he's doing back home in Hagerstown. And I'm just wrapping up a vacation. And so my wife and I, our family, we've been away on vacation. And so if this sermon flops, I'm just going to blame it on the fact that I have been away from uh preaching and I've been away from the church for a couple weeks and uh, I'm coming coming back in at this and so if you just think this is the worst sermon ever then that's great because you'll be excited to have Pastor John back when he comes back and he preaches uh, and so with that let me just um, man I want to just jump in but I'm gonna, I'm gonna just kind of gear shift and I'm gonna get serious really quick is that all right so and again you don't have to put up with me anymore because I have to go back and preach four times a weekend as it is, so you don't have to see me for a while. But, um, man, have you ever been in a situation, maybe recently, maybe on social media, where you just got sucked into a debate? I mean, maybe you were reading something, and it just kind of made your blood boil a little bit, and all of a sudden you were like, are you kidding me? And like, you, maybe you wanted to engage, 
and wisdom kicked in, you're like, I'm not going to go there. But maybe you're at the dining room table. Maybe it was a family get-together. Maybe you're at a party and somebody said something, and it just like it raises the hair on the back of your neck stands up a little bit, and you start going. And maybe you jump into the conversation. Maybe it's politics. Just saying. Maybe it's some issue in the nation or a global crisis. Maybe it's some social justice issue. Or maybe maybe it's a, a local community crisis or a tragedy Maybe it's, you know, some issue when it comes to crime or, I, I don't know, and I cannot be the only one that regularly feels tempted to jump into those conversations. Please tell me, right? And, and most, I would say the vast majority of the time, I hold back, but we were recently at a family get-together, and I just felt like I was getting egged on, and I jumped in, I mean, I jumped in both feet. And like five minutes in, I'm like, why did I even open my mouth? I hate these conversations. But every once in a while uh, at the gym, you know, you're in the locker room, and you start a conversation. And I, here's my conclusion. 30 minutes later, we've solved the problems of the world. We got it all figured out. I mean, they should put us in office. We know everything that needs to be done. We've got, we've got the whole plan figured out. I mean, you've put energy into solving the problems of the world. Am I right? And your ideas are good ideas. I mean, you're right. You, you, really, you should be the one that writes the legislation. You guys, as a group, those of you in the locker room, maybe at the gym, you women, man, you're hanging out at the playground, your kids are, you've literally got it figured out. Somebody should put you in office. And here's the, here's the thing. I'm, and by the way, I'm not being sarcastic. I really actually think that would be a good idea. Um, what, what I do think, however, is that we walk away from those, and that's it. It doesn't actually change anything. We just talked about it. Sometimes we're talking about really significant, serious issues. And, and sometimes in the middle of a conversation, we think, I should actually give to that. Or I should do that. And then we walk away and we don't actually do anything. So we talk, but then we walk away and nothing changes. And then the issue comes up again. And we talk about it again. And we get passionate. I mean, we, our blood boils, our, our hair stands up. Our, I mean, we, we turn white-knuckled. I mean, we get really passionate. And then we walk away from the conversation. And we go back to our busy lives. And we're all busy, right? Please tell me, I can't be the only one that's busy around here. And what happens is I get busy doing stuff, and I forget about what I was passionate about until it comes up again. And then I get passionate about it again, but then I get busy. And... and and as a result, all these things that we get excited and passionate about don't really get affected. Nothing really changes. And in fact, we live in a culture and a, and a media-driven environment where you feel like you're actually doing something simply by sharing a post or liking or, or putting an emoji on a post. Or maybe if you hashtag it, like, that'll change the world. And the reality, like, just trying to be... I mean, look, I can come and say whatever I want, right? So here's the deal, right? Like, you clicking like isn't going to change anything. You sharing it really, I, I hate to break it, but it's really not making any difference. And you putting a hashtag out there, like, because guess who's, the only people listening are people that agree with you. And, and so you're literally just putting it out there to a little echo chamber where only people that are reading your posts and liking and sharing, you know, they're, all, they're all the same people. They all agree, and they're all putting the same, whatever. And, and so we walk away, and nothing changes. And um, 
I wonder how similar that is to, uh, I'm going to give you a historical background. So we're going to jump back to the second and third century. So we're talking about the 100s and the 200s after Christ, right? So like 150, 250 AD, um, the Roman Empire was the predominant ruling. It, they, were the, they were the world power, right? Roman Empire is spreading, flourishing, uh, expanding. Uh, they're kind of at the peak of their power. And then plagues break out. Maybe when you go back to like school, you remember that there were these plagues that kind of decimated the known world. Well, that, that's what we're talking about here. And so plagues began to spread across the Roman Empire. Now today, there's some research, and they're not quite sure exactly what the plagues were, but a lot of the thinking is that they were the smallpox. But obviously, you're in a time when you got rudimentary medicine, uh, the most basic, in fact, almost primitive understanding of diseases. And so, you know, they would bleed people, whatever. And, and so, you know, disease spread rampant. And, and so in areas like Alexandria, which is now w w in what is now called Egypt, uh, the, the city of Alexandria, where there was about a third of the population died from the plague. If you go to Carthage, two-thirds, uh, Carthage is modern-day Tunisia, two-thirds of that city died from the plague. If you went to the outlying villages, some of those villages, 100% of the people died from the plague. And so here's what happened. Fear obviously begins to sweep across the, the Roman Empire. People are, I mean, terrified of the first onset of the plague. So the moment somebody starts showing a sign of the plague, they put them out of the home, out of the community, for fear that that will spread to the rest of the family, the rest of the neighbors, right? And, and for good reason. Entire cities are being wiped out. And so imagine this. Put yourself back in, you know, 150 A.D. And one of your children or a spouse comes sick. And they would put him out of the house onto the street to die. Watching them in the street while, you, while we cowered in fear that another family member was going to get sick. And so you got family members watching their siblings, their, their loved ones dying in the streets where, I mean, literally almost an entire village gets wiped out. And worse, those in power, those with the resources to do something about it, did nothing. In fact, there's a quote from a historian uh, in the city of Alexandria who wrote this, and I'll just put it up on the screen. He said, here we are in a city of death. All around us, our family and friends are dropping. We can never be sure if or when we fall sick too. In the midst of such appalling circumstances, humans are driven to ask, why? And what is going to happen next? And can we do, what can we do? It sounds a lot like the conversations at the gym and at the playground, right? We're pagans. We probably already know that our priests profess ignorance. They don't know why the gods have sent such misery or if the gods are involved or even care. Sounds a lot like modern-day religion. Where is God? What is God doing? Worse yet, many of our priests have fled the city as have the highest civil authorities and the wealthiest families, which adds to the disorder and the suffering. So those with the resources, those with the power, those with the influences, actually ran for their lives, left the city, and left the city in crisis. People who could make a difference leave and abandon people to die. Sounds just a little bit like an early group of Jesus followers. The very first group of Jesus followers were called the disciples. They were just friends of Jesus. And um, if you go to John chapter 20, Jesus had been crucified. 
and that's all they know. There's rumors that he might have risen again, but all they know is that Jesus had been crucified. And so if we jump to John chapter 20, now the, the book of John, the gospel of John, is the account of the life teachings, death and resurrection of Jesus from the eyewitness account of a man named John. John, who became a follower and friend of Jesus, who later in life sits down and writes out his eyewitness account of his experience following, listening to Jesus. And in this account, he's writing that here they were, Jesus had died. He had been, from their perspective, he had been murdered, right? And now here they are. John chapter 20, verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week. So it's Sunday evening. You guys might remember what happened on Sunday. This is Easter. So you guys might be have a meal together. Maybe you have a, a ham or a turkey. I don't know what you guys eat. I like ham, so we have a, we have a big ham on Easter. Uh, maybe you do like an egg hunt. I don't know what you do. Maybe you eat too much candy. But Easter evening, for them... They were, here's what it says, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. They were hiding. Jesus had been put to death. There were rumors that he was alive, but they're in an upper room in hiding. They're cowering in fear. They have insulated and isolated themselves from the rest of the world because they're afraid. Sounds a little bit like what's going to happen 100 and 200 years later when people put their family members and loved ones and friends out in the street and hide in their houses for fear of the plague. These guys are hiding. Fortunately for us, the story doesn't end there. So what changes a group of guys who are scared out of their minds, hiding from the plague, hiding from persecution, into a group that changes the world? Well, here it is right here. This is, I'm going to continue reading uh, verse 19 into 20 and 21. Here it is. Jesus came. So here are these disciples on Easter evening, hiding in an upper room for fear of the Jews. And then it simply says this. And then Jesus showed up and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. You get the sense that Jesus is trying to communicate something to them. In the midst of all their fears, in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of a crazy world where politics are wild and, and the economy's up and down and nobody knows what's really going on. And people are putting other people out in the street and people are dying around us. And Jesus shows up and he says, peace be with you. And then he, he says, look, I'm alive. And he goes, again, peace be with you. And then again, now this is where the story shifts. Check this out. And this is where it's going to shift for you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Check this out. Crazy world. They're hiding in fear. And it says Jesus came and stood among them. Hoping that today for you, this is your experience. Whatever you're hiding from, Maybe my question is, what's your plague? What's the plague that's got you hiding? What's the plague that's got you cowering? What's the plague that the church is facing? What's our plague today? What's the plague of the church that's got us huddled up in hiding for fear of that thing attacking? What would cause you to put someone else out of your life? 
What would cause you to push someone away from you? Whatever that plague is, we've got to examine our lives because Jesus showed up in the middle of that. And I'm hoping right now that God's presence, the spirit of Jesus Christ is showing up. And it says Jesus came and he stood among them. That right now, really, this place would be a place where God's presence shows up. And Jesus is present among us. And he's speaking into your fears. He's speaking into your troubles. He's speaking into the chaos. And he's saying, peace be with you. But then Jesus shifts and he goes, just like the Father has sent me on a mission, I'm sending you on a mission. Crazy. Why would you show up to a room full of cowards and say, now I'm putting you on a mission? Now fast forward just a couple of days. Literally, we're, we're jumping ahead just a few weeks. We're going to get to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is an account of the, of the early church. The, literally, our heritage you're here today as a result of what happened 2,000 years ago as recorded in the book of Acts. And, and let me just give you a quick snapshot. So we're going to jump to Acts chapter 2, written by Luke, who's giving an account of this early church, and he's describing what it was like to be around these people. These guys that have been cowering in fear, who Jesus shows up, stands among them, and says, peace be with you, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And then, he, and then this is the snapshot. I mean, if you could get a glimpse into what it was like to be around these people, here's what it says. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 46. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Meaning, they, they devoted themselves to hearing the teaching the apostles, these early followers of Jesus who are telling them about Jesus. And to fellowship, meaning to hanging out together, spending time together, encouraging each other, to breaking of bread and to prayer. So they ate together, they prayed together. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, meaning people's lives were being changed. And people were amazed by that. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who, who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. Meaning the community uh, looked at them favorably because of the way they were living. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Man, what a, what a snapshot. What is the challenge for you? Here's my challenge. Here's what I want you to take away from this message, and it's simply this. I want to challenge you to be the church. Now, if I could, if I could be bold, I would encourage you to write that down, or pull, maybe, maybe you're not as old-fashioned as I am, uh, so you don't need to pull out a pen or take notes, but maybe pull out a smartphone or a tablet and just type this in. If you're on social media, don't worry. No one's judging you. Just on, on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever you're using right now, um, you can just, in all caps, you're right, be the church. You can even hashtag it. It won't make a difference, but you can hashtag it because um, only the people that agree with you are going to read it. But anyway, uh, be the church. Now, here is a challenge. Why, why don't we act like what we read in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42 to 46? Because we're all suffering with the plague. You know our plague? You know what the real plague is? That we're all just trying to survive. We see the symptoms in our own life and we see the symptoms around us of our own sickness and our own disease and we're just trying to fight to survive. And so we're driven by selfishness to look out for our needs. We don't even have time to look out for the needs of others. 
At the very best, we're looking out for the needs of our own family and maybe those closest to us. You know what drives the instinct to survive and that selfishness? Because at the core, right, you don't want to be selfish. You don't want to just survive. Man, you talk about those things because you really do want to make a difference. So why do we talk about it, but we don't act on it, and yet we, in fact, we do the very opposite. We, we act selfishly because there's a source of selfishness. There's a source of that instinct to survive, and it's alien to us, meaning it's in us, but we don't like it. It's what biblical authors, what Jesus called sin. Sin is a spiritual plague, a spiritual sickness that you and I were born with, meaning you and I were born with an instinct to do the wrong thing. We were born with an instinct that gives us desires that trick us. Sin creates desires that tell us they're good for us. All along, those desires are actually destroying us. Crazy. And yet it feels good. It feels right. It feels like it's the right. Those are the best things for us. And so we give into this sin, this spiritual plague that's sabotaging us. It's creating a survival instinct and a drive towards selfishness, which is the antithesis of our desire to make a difference. And so our lives are ruined by this sin. And the worst part of sin is not just that it wrecks our lives or causes us to be selfish and not make a difference in the world. It's that because it's a spiritual plague, it cuts us off from relationship with God. So we go through our life separated from relationship with God on a crash, on a crash course a trajectory toward eternal ruin this is the devastating part so imagine we live in a world plagued by sin where every one of us 100% mortality rate every one of us cursed by this sin headed toward eternal judgment but God was unwilling to leave us on this life course toward eternal judgment and so he intervened in our story Right, what we read about was these disciples that are hiding in a room because Jesus had died on a cross and was buried. Why? Not because he deserved to die. Not because he was a good guy teaching good things, but because he was God in human form who took our plague on himself. He, he didn't just come and bring the cure. He became the cure. How did he become the cure? By taking our plague of sin on himself. He, took, he reached into your life and took your plague. He reached into your life and took your plague. He took the symptoms of, sickness, of sin. He took the symptoms of the plague. He took the judgment of the plague of sin on himself. He took everything that we carry, the eternal judgment we deserve, he put on himself so that when Jesus died, he died once for all. So that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sin, guilt and shame removed. He, he transforms us so that previously when we were driven by sin, now God's spirit, which is eternal and invisible, enters into our spirit, which is eternal and invisible. And when God's spirit enters into our spirit, he transforms us so that when we were previously driven by sin, now we're driven by his spirit who begins to transform us from the inside out, from the spirit into our emotions, into our thinking. And then when we die, he transforms our physical body into an immortal body. Isn't this incredible? So this is a story of Jesus, right? This is what John is recording. But then check it out. Jesus, who died, 
who supernaturally, miraculously, and physically rose from the dead. And in his death, he gives us the power to be forgiven. But in his resurrection, he gives us the power to live a new and eternal life. Now, when you believe in Jesus by faith, you're not only forgiven. And God's spirit not only enters you, but his spirit transforms you and empowers you so that you can become what you otherwise could never become on your own. So check it out. Here's the deal, right? The only way we're going to be the church is if we believe in Jesus by faith. I love that little phrase in Acts chapter 2, verse, I think it was like 44, 45, where it says, they held all everything in common. You know what they had in common? Jesus. The reason they shared everything else in common was because they only had one thing in common, Jesus. So let me give you a little uh, mathematical equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And everything without Jesus is nothing. Jesus plus nothing is everything. When, when you, so when you believe in Jesus by faith, you receive new life. God's spirit enters into you. He forgives you of sin. Then he activates in you a cause. That cause is what unites us. That's what it means to be the church, to be driven by the cause of Christ, which is we are about Jesus plus nothing else, which is everything. So, okay, there's some implications to that. Follow me. What unites the church is Jesus and his cause. Not politics. Not any social justice issue that you read about. We're not activated by community tragedy. We're not driven uh, by the stuff you see on the news or what you're upset about or what you're worried about or what you guys are talking about at the playground or what you're talking about in the classroom. We're not, we're not going to get worked up and excited about everything you're hashtagging because it's Jesus plus nothing. Our only mission is to make Jesus known and invite his spirit to transform the world around us. Check this out. Follow me. Why does the church exist? Very simply. So Jesus uh, is giving us this, right? He says, all the law and the prophets can be summarized in love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Some of you recognize that. That's Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 38, uh, which simply can be summarized as this, love God. So we reach up in worship to God. And then he continues, he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we reach in and we love each other. Caring, supporting, encouraging. But then before Jesus goes in Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have taught you, and I will be with you always, even to the very end of time. And so he says, now I want you to go, and, and as you're going through life, I want you to t make disciples of others, meaning invite others to know me. Share and show my love with people that are far away from me. So the church exists to love God, love each other, and then love people far away from God. When you get to heaven, so this is a little quiz. Y'all didn't come to church because you thought you were going to get a quiz, but you don't go to church. You are the church. We're not doing church today. We're called to be the church. You, you catch that? This is important. All right, so today... When we get to heaven, are we going to be able to love God? I hope, don't worry, John, this is not a reflection on your, your pastoral skills here. All right, when we get to heaven, will we be able to love God, worship him? Kind of think that's a big part of heaven, right? When we get to heaven, will we be able to love each other, meaning the church and people that love Jesus, will we be able to love each other? 
Yes, you all agree with this, right? When we get to heaven, will we be able to share and show God's love with people that are far away from God? No. Why do you think we're still here? Okay, did you catch this? So when we get to heaven, we'll be able to love God. We'll be able to love each other. We won't be able to love people that are far away from Jesus. So the reason the church is still, of course we're called to worship. Of course we're called to community and discipleship. But the reason we're still here is to share and show God's love with people that are far away from him. Now let me jump back into the story of the first and second century, or second, third century of the plague. Cities are, I mean, entire villages are being decimated. Carthage, two-thirds of the population dies. In Alexandria, a third of the population dies. What makes a turn? Because it's not like the whole world got wiped out. You know what made a difference? While people were dying in the streets, Christians. We're talking only 120 years since Jesus' death and resurrection. Christians saw people dying in their neighborhoods. And check out, this is what they did. They went out to their neighbors and invited them into their home. People with the plague, they invited them into their home, and they began to care for them. They began to nurse them, meaning provide nursing care for them. Uh, they, they began to wash them, bathe them, feed them, provide even the most basic care. And here's what was discovered. With even the most rudimentary nursing care, the mortality rate, uh, like, like dramatically shifted from 90% mortality to only 10%, meaning now instead of like an entire village dying, only like 10% would die. Another thing happened. Many of the Christians that did invite people in their homes, they took on the disease. They got the plague. So you all thought like they were all going to survive and everything's going to be great. It's a great story. No, no, no. Christians died caring for others that had the plague. So the person that had the plague came into their home, they survived, and the Christian dies. But then some Christians, many, in fact, many Christians survived because they got it early, and they were, so they're, like the, the, their immunities built up, their family members' immunities built up, and they were able to survive the plague. And so now they walked among the sick as, as if immortal. People started, this is not my opinion, and you can go and read it yourself. Think about it. So you're, you're a family, and, and you sent one of your children out in the street because you were afraid they're going to kill the whole family. And you see your next-door neighbor go in and invite your son into their house, even though he has the plague. And they feed him, they care for him, they bathe him. One of their family members dies as a result of them caring for your son. You're beginning to wonder, what is going on? So once, once this whole thing passes and you guys start coming out of your homes, why would you do that? Because, because Jesus took on my plague. I deserve death. And he picked me up out of the gutter of life. And he took on my curse. He took on my shame. He, took on, he cared for me. He became for me the bread of life. He gave me the living water. Jesus gave me eternal life. I'm not afraid to die. Yeah, my, yeah it cost me one of my family members, but they knew Jesus. They're in paradise. We didn't lose anything. All of a sudden, the word began to spread about how Christians who love Jesus are selfless in their love, and that love changes everything. 
Christianity skyrocketed, meaning thousands of people in surrounding cities began to believe, then tens of thousands, eventually millions of people began to believe in Jesus, and the Roman Empire became a Christian empire, not because Constantine ruled it, but because loving Christians were willing to care for their neighbors in such a way that it transformed the world they lived in. And people saw the undeniable love of Jesus as expressed through the way they lived. You know what the challenge for you and I is? To love loudly. You know what it means to be the church? Love loudly. Can I encourage you to type that in? Would you, would you just with both thumbs just go, love loudly. You can hashtag it again. I mean, again, it won't make any difference. But love loudly. Um, here's, the, here's the point. Um, Man, one of my favorite quotes, listen to this, Theodore Roosevelt, he says, it's not the critic that counts. It's not the one who points out how the strong man stumbled or the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred with dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, who gives himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows achievement, And who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be among those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. The point is, the church is a gathering of Jesus followers. It's not a religious organization. It's not a community group. Uh, It's not a club. The church is a gathering of people who love Jesus plus nothing. They've laid everything else aside, everything that should divide us. We've laid aside, and we say what unites us is more powerful than what divides us because it's Jesus plus nothing, and so we are not a religious organization. We're not a 501c3 group. We are not, we don't do church. We don't go to church. We are the church. In fact, use the word church like the way you'd use the word family. We gather as a family. You don't do family. You don't go to family, right? We are a family. We do family activities. And so when we come together as a family, what what it looks like is that what should catch people's attention is that we love loudly. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 46, right? They ate together, they prayed together, they worshiped together, they listened together, they, meaning they learned from the apostles together, they gave generously together, they met in each other's homes, they, they broke bread together, they, and then people in the community went, wow. Like they were looking out their windows, seeing how the church cared for the dying and the broken, and, and, and they went, that's incredible. I don't know why they do it, but I want to find out, and I would love to become part of that. And then the Acts chapter 2, verse 46 simply says, and the church got added to the number daily as those were being saved. It, people were like, it might cost me everything, but I want to be part of that. Because I'd rather, I'd rather be in the arena, marred by dust and sweat and blood. I'd rather err over and over and over and fail but at least I'd fail in a cause that was worth dying for. See, here's the deal. God uses ordinary people. He gives them extraordinary power, extraordinary giftedness, extraordinary passion, and then does extraordinary things through them. God wants to use you. God's called you to be part of his cause, part of the things he's doing in the world around. So what is it that God is doing? Well, I want to give you three kind of very practical steps. First, the only way you become part of the church 
is through faith in Jesus, because that's, that's the only thing we share in common. And then believing in Jesus brings everything else together. So what does it mean to love loudly? Well, when you look at the description of the early church, it would simply be this. The, the first thing is they gave. They, they opened their homes, right? So that sounds a lot like life groups, right? You can op open our homes to each other. Hey, come in my house. Let's eat together. Let's spend time together. So that they gave, they gave generously. They gave sacrificially. What did the early church do in the, in the second, third century during the plague? They gave. They opened their homes. They, 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 they gave their resources this is probably the easiest of the steps. I know for you, some of you, maybe it's your first time coming in and you're like, oh my goodness, we're talking about money? Look, check it out. I, unapologetically, up at Lifehouse in Hagerstown, I will talk about giving. Because I believe there's no better investment you can ever make than giving to and through the local church. Because the church is literally the hands and feet of Christ expressed in a community. So maybe some of you, you've been reluctant. You've been coming in, and you're, you're thinking that you're like an investor. You're going to decide which stock you're going to buy. Like you, don't, you don't get to do that in, a real, in, in your business world. And so now you're like, I'm going to do it for the church. I'm going to decide if I'm going to give them my money. Look, it's not yours. God has given you resources, and he's give, he wants to give through you. How does God give? God gives through people who believe in him. And so for, can I just challenge you? Loose, loosen your grip on what you believe is yours. It's God's and God's given it to you to give through you. Look, Pastor John didn't ask me to come share any of this. This is me. I love the privilege I get to be here because I get to say things that I won't say back up at Lifehouse in Hagerstown. I mean, not that I wouldn't share this, but let me just challenge you. Um, give generously. Some of you, you're, you're kind of deciding whether or not you're going to begin to give to Lifehouse. Can I challenge you? Would you give? Man, give sacrificially, give, give above and beyond because there's no better investment. But don't just stop at giving to the church. Get, give in your family, give into your neighborhood, give into the community. The church is giving. It's coming in. It's not like Pastor John's hoarding it all. Man, alive, everything that comes in is going right back out because the church is called to give. And then not, so here's the deal, right? You can, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And if we're going to love loudly, we are going to be the most generous. And then the, the next thing I want to challenge you to do is to go, which means you just got to show up. You got to be present. Um, you, you got to be present in people's lives. You got to go to people with the plague. You got to get out of your house, stop hiding and huddle up, and you got to walk out into the street where there are people with the plague. So who are, who is, what is your plague? Who are the people that you consider to have the plague? Put your arms around them, invite them in your home, serve them a meal, love them. It, might, it will cost you, but trust me, it'll also change the world. So we got to go. we got to be present. we got to show up in people's lives. And then the third thing that's really obvious is that they got involved. So can I challenge you to get involved? Maybe you've been contemplating whether you're going to serve. Man, there's no better place for you to serve than within LifeHouse. I, I, I mean that passionately. Man, sign up to serve in the nursery. We have any nursery workers here? Woo! Don't, don't just look for, like, the high-profile position, man. Take, show up and, and set up and tear down, and they get here crazy early. All this doesn't happen. It's not like they have a magic wand. It doesn't happen on its own. People are showing up crazy early to set everything up. You can show up. You can be part of it. Get involved. Get involved in the For Our City effort. Get involved in outreach. Get involved. Get your hands dirty, right? Here's the, here's the deal. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Just get involved. Just love people care for people. Look, it, it might transform one family. Here, here would be my, my challenge for you. I, I firmly believe that the church is the response of God to the community. 
during the plague as it was wiping out the Roman Empire, people, I imagine there was people who were talking about it. Where is God? Where are the gods? And you, and you know what God was doing? He was mobilizing people that loved him. The answer to people's prayers is sitting right in this room. Meaning you are the response of God to the pain and the problems around you. If God is going to change the world, he's going to do it through the church. So when you're thinking, man, what is God doing about that problem? What, um, you're praying about an issue in the Newport News area. Man, what is God doing? You know what God's doing? He's giving you a burden for it. God is activating you. God's going to lose your generosity. God is going to mobilize you to go. God is going to get your body moving to get involved. The res- we are the response of God. The church is the answer to God, but not some generic church right here. I, I believe in what God is doing through Pastor John, through Newport News, Life House right here. I believe that God has put the seeds of a great church. You got an exciting thing going, but trust me, this is just the beginning of what God wants to do because the church is not about doing church, but about activating people who believe in Jesus to transform the community around them. God wants to use you, Newport News. And what I see when I see the church is this church changing Newport News. Whatever the plagues are that you see causing issues, they're going to be different because you are here, because you're present, because the church is alive, because the church is active, because Jesus' followers are not people huddled up in rooms, but people who are willing to step out of their house, touch people with the plague, and see the world around them transformed. So here's what I want to do right now. There are some of you, you're hearing me and you're like, yeah, but you haven't yet taken that step of faith to believe in Jesus. Look, this isn't another social organization. This isn't another club. This isn't even a, 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 this isn't some nonprofit that you can just sign up to be part of. You don't have to pay dues. All, All you do is say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you and I'll give you my entire life. And so can I encourage you, would you just take a moment, close your eyes. We believe that God's spirit is present here. He wants to speak to you right now. So if I could, can I encourage you, would you just close your eyes for a moment? Allow God's spirit to speak into your spirit. And some of you, as, as God's spirit is speaking to you, he's kind of prompting your heart. Maybe you're feeling a little stirring inside of you. That stirring is from God, and he wants to transform you. For some of you, he wants to forgive your sins and give you new life. And if that's where you're at right now, you're ready to say yes to Jesus. He gave his life to remove the plague from your life. If that's you, would you just just raise your hand and say, yeah, Patrick, that's me. I'm ready to say yes to Jesus right now. I'm ready to believe in him by faith. Would you just raise your hand high and say, yeah, that's me. That's where I'm at right now. For those of you that are raising your hands, I want to take a moment. I want to pray with you. And for the rest of you, I want to just pray over you. Jesus, thank you that you love us so much that you came to earth to embrace our plague, to give us, and you didn't just take it, you died, you absorbed the curse of sin, you took on our eternal judgment, but then you came back to life and you give us life. So those that are saying yes to you right now, God, their lives are being transformed, they're being forgiven of sin and given new life. 
And now, God, I pray over Lifehouse Newport News, Lord, that your spirit would show up in a powerful way, that you would would so empower and embolden Pastor John, the rest of the pastoral team, the rest of the staff, the rest of the leaders, the rest of those that are saying yes right now to giving, to going and getting involved. God, would their love be loud, so loud that it would reverberate through this city. And Newport News would be different. Neighbors would be different. Families would be different because we said yes to you today. We ask this right now in Jesus' name. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.